Welcome to the 34 Welcome to Make Matriarchy Great Again. Welcome back to the 34 Circe Salon. In part two, we discuss matriarchy and patriarchy in the world of antiquity. Our guest is Max Dashu, and your hosts are Don Sam Alden and me, Sean Marlon Newcomb. Yeah, I was gonna, they're not I was gonna ask words. you about that in terms of there are two things that I think come to mind for me once you talk about these kinds of matriarchal concepts that are or egalitarian economically and in terms of family. So one is the ancient world. So you've got the Greeks and Romans and maybe talking a little bit about a very clear structure about controlling women's bodies, birthright, and that sort of thing. And then the argument that the the patriarchy crowd or the crowd that says there is no such thing, that patriarchy is just the way humans exist, will say, could there have been something different? So. Can we talk a little bit about the ancient world and how they were structured and then what predated that in terms of a matriarchal format? Because if, if I'm to be clearer, the idea that, look, this is just the way things have always been. This is the way the world is structured. You've got that's fathers. That's what they say. That's what yeah. they tell you. Exactly. So we need to, let's talk a little bit about what people say the way the world has been. And then can we show that there's evidence that, hey, um, actually the okay. world was a very different a lot longer. Let's start by interrogating the concept of the ancient world. Mm-hmm. The antiquity, the ancient world, usually those terms have come to be understood. They have been defined as the Greco-Roman world right. or maybe right. the Mesopotamian world. So we already got a bias for the ancient empires mm-hmm. that is there right at, out the gate. And that is automatically cutting out Sumatra, Ontario, Costa Rica, you know, other parts of the world that have different histories, different trajectories as far as the development of patriarchy is going or even empire. You know, so we have to interrogate that to begin with. Mm-hmm. Right. The ancient world is the entire planet. All right. So we're looking first at archaeology, you know, because even in some places there never was a written record. In other places, one came along eventually. And that written record can be one line of evidence for what society was like and how it was organized. Right. But we don't, even where there's writing, for example, with the Maya and, and the Aztecs, they don't necessarily give us information about the things we're asking about. Right. You know, the, a lot of the, of the books that survive were calendrical, you know, they were astronomical. So there's right. that part. But in the archaeology, and this is one of my starting points, is before I'm even, I, I've, I'm dropping out of college, but i am still got my library card and I'm going in and I'm researching in the libraries right. and, looking, and looking at the archaeological excavation reports and trying to find evidence for another way of life. And what I discovered very quickly is there are the, all these ancient female figurines. Mm. And, okay, this is a different pattern because the central iconography of the Neolithic or, you know, of many ancient societies, is female. Right. You've got these ancestral women, as I would put it now. At that time, I was thinking, oh, look, they have goddesses, you know. But it it was very clear that this was the the, the main point, even at that time, for me, was it's female. There's a focus on the female that's very different, really stands out in contrast 
to the society I live in, which the female exists as a sexual object, Mm -hmm. but not as a figure of importance, not as an organizing principle of social connection. So that's, that's a whole area of investigation. And then you've got the written history. And so that's written by the elites. So it too has its bias, but even within that written history, you can see traces in Herodotus or some of the various texts that we have that there are these other kinds of societies. And this is partly what the whole Amazon narrative is about, right? Is a way of looking at social systems that are not as patriarchal as the writing home society that are held in contrast. Well, well, it's like you've said the magic word. You've said Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but 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 for for just to complete this thought, for for our purposes, what what I began to look for more and more was societies where you do have a matrilineal organization, because the the social hierarchy that's based on the the, the social hierarchy of male domination pretty much insists on patrilineage. So that's one of the main organizing principles of it. And that correlates with property accumulation, with war, with empire, with state formation, all right. those things. Statehood, but it, yeah. it, it's, it's a complicated picture. And people are always asking me, well, when did this happen? How did this happen? And there is no one chronology and there is no one evolutionary or devolutionary scheme of how it happens because you've got all the vast complexity of human history to look right. at. Right. You know? I, so I think that the Greek the Greek example is always interesting to me because I, there, there does seem to be this moment, for want of a better term, in which a culture becomes so preoccupied with manhood and patriarchy and mm-hmm. after lineage, where everything you know we look at the ancient world and there are some magnificent things that we have received down through the ages from it, but what we don't talk about is just how brutal it was in terms of gender. Yeah. You know, the Greeks literally would tell women just to stay in the house, just all women, just stay unless you were a prostitute. A courtesan, you could come out a little bit more. But there, and, and I know there are obviously many women in the ancient world that broke that mold, but the predominant sensibility was that's where a woman belonged. So it's a really intense, you know, Aristotle talking about the defective woman, that sort of thing. Yeah, so no, it's the a, just an are... interesting aspect. The Greeks are intensely patriarchal. But again, the ancient world, I mean, the Greeks are looking over at Libya and saying, well, there's Amazons over there. Yeah. You know, they're looking at other societies that are other to them. And they're saying, this is how other they are. Their women are not colonized. You know, and they make up a lot of stories about this. And so they're mm-hmm. mythologizing the Amazons, for example, but a, any kind of mother rights system as other, you know, mm-hmm. those weird people over there and they do things not the natural way like we have, you know, right. but they are Barbarian. recognizing them. So this is something that, you know, some of the early sources like Bachhoff and some of the early researchers into matriarchy began pulling up things that did not fit to pattern mm-hmm. in talking. And, you know, of course, they're looking at the Etruscans and they're looking at a lot of yeah. different uh, places. The ancient Iberians, there's some really fascinating little tidbits, Strabo writing about the Cantabrians in northern Spain and how they are a woman ruled society. And you see that word pulled out here and there in Greek writings about other places. Actually, so, I, I, what was the, the group that Strabo was writing about? Because I don't know that I've come across that. Cantabria before. is what it was called in, in Greek. Mm-hmm. So that would be Asturias. Right. Uh-huh. And actually that area of northern Spain, northern Iberia, has a very long-standing uh, mother right 
strand that persists. You know, Galicia, the area around Galicia, even in the 1700s, they had a fishing economy. The Galicians were going off and they were fishing cod off the Newfoundland coast, right? So the men were gone a lot of the time. And there were a lot of matrilineal, uh, matricultural traits to the Galician society because hmm. it was basically run by women because the men weren't around a lot. Right. And, and there are traces of matrilineage that some scholars have written about for there. And there are traces also, the Etruscans were not what I would call a matriarchal society, but they have elements of matriculture that are still around, including when you look at the king's list for the Etruscans, the lineage, it's passing through. The king is the key figure. It's not a queendom, mm -hmm. but he has to be married to the daughter of the previous, you know, it, it's a matrilineal pattern. Right. And I would say really the Etruscans are bilateral and we can watch in the in the written record, you can see a shift that happens as Roman influence grows. Mm -hmm. The matronymic is gradually dropped off. Yeah. I, I've seen that pattern. It's interesting because we look at, and I, I would definitely want to circle back to Iberia, but when we look at on this uh, program, we've talked about the Etruscans a lot. And one of the things that at least I found in the stuff that I've uncovered is that the Etruscan language is linked to some other language families in the region, the Black Sea region, that are also purported to be matriarchal. So there is some tantalizing aspect there that That's the Lemnians a, and the Etruscans. Exactly. And, and the yeah. Raetians. Yeah. Yes. The Raetians. And that's interesting because there's some matricultural patterns up in there, too. So that's the Eastern Alps. Right. And if you look at a map, so, so they're calling this the Tyrsenian family. This is the yes. linguistic thing. Mm -hmm. So we have Etruscans who are probably coming, they're coming somewhere out of Western Asia Minor. Lemnos right. lies right off the coast from Western Asia Minor. So that mm -hmm. could have been a refuge for people who settled the islands a long time ago in order to keep that pattern. So, so Lemnos, mm -hmm. for the Greeks, the Lemnian women were the oh, very, indeed. very, very bad women, the yeah. evil women, <laughs> the man killers, right? And so, you know, there's this, this matricultural underpinning to the Etruscans and to the Lemnians. And the Lemnians well, especially get demonized heavily. Right? Well, it's interesting too, that women on, on uh, Crete, uh, the quote unquote Minoans, it's the same language family. Now, how do you, how do you know that? Because I'll send you the scholarly links to it, that there, that the, the recent- You're talking about linear A. Linear A, the earliest, the earliest uh, linguistic links that have been able to be determined link the Minoans with the Lemnians and the Etruscans in that language family. I know of that as one hypothesis. As far as I know, this is still being argued out. And there's yeah. other people who are yeah. arguing for the Lycians, you know, and for, for uh, actually an, 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 an Indo-European language family, which I kind of prefer the, the Chersenian hypothesis myself. Yeah, I, I, I would be very interested in it your It seems links. tighter. I'll, see, I'll, send the, I'll send the links because the interesting thing with that is that, you know, you look at some of the symbolism too, from that region where you have, you know, the women of Crete tied to the Lemnians, it's both that language family ties to the Black Sea, according to that particular same theory. And so that's where I start to pull on the Amazon. Yeah, yeah, I want to I want to see them. your yeah. links on that because I'm actually yeah. writing about this in my book, and I've been I've been tracking a lot of the um, the linguistic theories about Linear A. But you know, here's the other thing about the Cretans is if you look at Cretan art and Etruscan art, there is a strong similarity. Mm-hmm. You know, in the way they represent the faces, especially the eyes, you know, right. 
there there are certain similarities there. So that's that's interesting to explore. All right. So yeah, that's that's just so you know. I don't know if we've told you that. But that's one of the things that we're actually putting together something to do. We're trying to get a program grouping something together to go to the Black Sea to see if we can go right and dig up as much as we can about them. Okay. So that we can link what together. what part of the Black Sea? What are you looking at in the Black Sea? The main thing that we're going to be looking at is just can we find it's the the, the large the the large sexy idea of can we find Themyscira? Oh, can we go to the mouth of the Termi River on the Black Sea and find some? Okay, but linguistically, that's what I'm asking you. Oh yeah, no, it's linguistically, like, what's, I'm hoping. What's your linguistic? You're thinking that maybe they were speaking some Tersenian language? Yeah, that's at, what I'm hoping. On the but Termi whether River. we can, yeah, whether we can find proof of that, who knows? But, but we're going to go over there and see what we can find that mm. could potentially link one proof that they were there because that's where everybody seems to put them. There's obviously different theories about where they've come from, but most seem to tie them to that place. And then is there some link between that, the language family? Can we find anything that would link? Because symbolism certainly links the Cretan women to Amazons. There's certain similars, symbols they have in common, but mm-hmm. that's just very tenuous, obviously. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we, we could go on a whole thing about that, but I want to go back to the Cantabrians because I sure. pulled yeah, up this please. quote for you. So this is Strabo, and the term he's using is gynaikokratia, oh, woman rule. This right. is the first century CE. It is the custom among the Cantabrians for the husbands to give dowries to their wives, for the daughters to be left as heirs, and the brothers to be married off by their sisters. In other words, this is a matrilocal social system. The custom involves, in fact, a sort of woman rule, but this is not at all a mark of civilization. That's Strabo. <laughs> of course not, yeah. And, and, you know, he really spells it out because that's oh what they God. consider civilization to be yeah. is male-dominated states. Right, oh my God. right. That's Strabo. We're, and we are, oh, yeah. of course, all heirs to what the ancient world thinkers thought. I mean, you know, all the stuff that was lost that was then translated and even with the church fathers with the old things with with aristotle especially really well, he continued shapes the, to be really yeah. influential i mean thomas aquinas is all about it aristotle. And, the, and the arab scholars are also very much about it yeah. the, uh, the islamic uh empire that develops there aristotle influences that so it's a really interesting how this well and really then the the whole renaissance is heavily heavily um all the renaissance writings of of the dramatic writings are all heavily influenced by seneca because <laughs> seneca was one of the only um surviving type of um of dramatic entertainment from the Romans because the church thought he was just stoic enough to not be heretical. <laughs> and so, um, you know, they they used some of, of, you know, quotes of his and stuff like that um, in their teachings of Latin. And so when the Renaissance writers started writing Shakespeare and his whole crew, um, the the model that they had was Seneca. Well, he was kind of like the hole in the dike because, you know, the Renaissance, the whole, the whole blast of Greco-Roman paganism comes pouring through, mm. you know, they, they, they did try to keep it out, but they didn't succeed because when we look at the, all you have to do is look at the art. <laughs> <You know? Yes. laughs> yeah. They, they went crazy and, and, and not just sculpture and painting, but also theater, you know, mm-hmm. whenever they're all reading Terence and, 
you know, this is, it, it was just massively, there was like a, the, the, the Renaissance actually means the rebirth of Greco-Roman civilization. Right. In yeah. a sense. Mm-hmm. You know? So you've, you know, you said that you, or you told me that you are really focused on that particular period we call the classical or antiquity in terms of what you're looking at. Uh, in your studies. So what? You know, really, here's the thing. I fought this kicking and screaming. Everybody had the Greeks and Romans shoved down our throats. They were mm-hmm. the model that society pushed on us mm-hmm. as civilization, as what's important, what's advanced, what's the canon. Mm-hmm. And I resisted it for most of my life. While I'm doing all this research, I really wanted to look at indigenous history. I wanted to look at matricultural societies. But it is important to tell what happened with patriarchy and empire. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I started to write this book in 1978 that later became my first book, which is in Pagans, Women in European Folk Religion. Mm -hmm. And that was originally the book, but that later on became a chapter and then it became a volume. So it kind of just got out of my hands. It got it it kind of got away from me. (laughs) So now there's 16 volumes. And what I'm working on now, which is uh, the second volume is Pythias, Melissae, and Pharmakides, Women in Hellenic Culture. So this is really, what I'm trying to describe is what happened in Europe. You know, to really have an in-depth culture historical overview of all the shifts and developments that took place and the ways that society changed, the ways that it became more patriarchal, how women got driven out of the priesthood, how witch burnings developed, all of these Mm -hmm. things that, you know, molded the world that we live in, you know, what happened? The old, the old Europe theory, the, the Gambutus notion of uh, a matriarchal or matrilineal culture that existed prior to the class. Actually, I I was already saying that before I ever heard of her. (laughs) I mean, you know, I I didn't use that term old Europe, but you know, I, that was my working hypothesis for the world is that you have um, a matrifocal basis for human culture. And then you patriarchy, is a maladaptation that comes in. It comes in in layers. Mm-hmm. It's it's stratified, layer over layer over layer, and it just kind of builds up. It's a series of accretions, you could call it, hmm. that build up over time, and it's kind of viral. So we look at the way that Greco-Roman concepts were carried on, and we just talked about the Renaissance, and there's a revival of them and the stories, and we're still talking those stories. We're still living those legal principles. They are the foundation of American democracy, mm-hmm. you know, and much else, all the other empires. I mean, you've got Napoleon modeling himself on Roman emperors and, you know, the British Empire and all of these things. And, of course, there are other imperial systems like China and India and, you know, the Aztecs or the ancient Peruvian empires. But, uh it's, so this is not only something that happened in Europe, but the reason I kind of narrowed it down over time to what happened in Europe is because Europe colonized the entire world. It became right. the dominant global model for patriarchy and empire. Right. And so, you know, the witch hunts of Europe in many ways shaped what happened when Europeans colonized the Americas and began slave trafficking out of Africa. They were using models that were created, you know, you have the church and under the church, you've got Aristotle and with Aristotle, you've got the whole slave states of the, the Hellenic world. And so there, there are these legacies that are toxic memes mm-hmm. that get mm. passed on and replicated. 
You know, it's like the gene replication theory, just apply it to culture. Right. And the way that the, there's a contagion of it. So that even indigenous societies in North America, with the missionaries and with the Christian scriptures, you have the importation of European demonologies that contest the, the native philosophies and spiritual principles. You have the importation of patriarchal principles of male-female relations. So they are basically importing a code, in a sense, cultural code, that then shapes things. And the people who resist manage to withstand enough of that to keep their culture or much of their culture. Mm-hmm. Might lose their language, though. You know, and language carries a lot of culture with it. it does, right. yeah. but, but other people are going to be influenced by that. And so after colonization, Barbara Alice Mann talks about the witch hunts that happened among the Iroquois under the influence of European missionaries and the process of Christianization, wow. which was never absolute. It never was completed, but right. it, had, it had its impact. So we're talking about really complex trajectories of not so much ideas as, um, you know, this, this kind of uh, culture code that can be spread. And this is where the dominant religions play a really huge part because they carry huge amounts of that doctrinal shaping right. of what society is supposed to be like, whether it's Christian, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, or whatever, Zoroastrian, you know, um, right. there is like this belief system. This is what the truth is. And, you know, this is where the sacred is centered. And therefore, these principles automatically go with that. Mm-hmm. So you have to have a male priest. You know, you have to have female virginity. Whatever the whatever the bits of code are mm-hmm. that get carried along, the doctrines, they have influence that's greater because they have this accumulated cultural authority behind them. And they and carry with that them. That gets the- taken up by new peoples. Yeah, and they carry with them the threat of damnation, you know, which is right. Pretty a lot of violence and fear, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I also think I mean what I see now, and I, I've criticized some movements that I see happening now that are called progressive, but they're still they carry within them the doctrine of patriarchy and the idea that the most yeah. powerful thing that we have in our culture is not to be challenged that there that basically the great patriarch really loves you and it's not really the patriarchy's fault it's just certain expressions of it so it's it's i so that is to me that virus you talk about i see it and i see it in really insidious ways that i think sometimes even yeah. get missed on in progressive they, you you are definitely right about this i mean there is a level of authoritarianism that is endemic to patriarchy, which unconsciously gets picked up, Mm -hmm. you know, and replicated. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, and passed along. And the idea that, you know, it becomes uh, like the good uber potter, or I sometimes call it this good super father, that really means well. And if something's not going right, it's not because he has created a system which entirely benefits his structural mindset, it's just because you're not entering that system properly. Right, yeah. and exactly. You, if you just, just can kind of, you know, be, you know, be appreciative of what he's doing for you and that's kind of like shift it so you can be the beloved, that's kind of where I see us kind of coming as a culture. There's a lot of battling to be the beloved. So this kind of, this, this the power of creation, you know, the idea that you have this patriarchy that flowers out of Greece and Rome 
and becomes the you know European civilization that colonizes the world, you see that power and people respond to it and think, well, that there must be truth to that. Mm. Rather than think, okay, by no other reason than it's endurance. Yes. You know, it becomes authoritative by the fact of its of its pandemic spread. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's amazing. And no one thinks to even look underneath like I mean, I will often argue to people that, you know, even some of the strengths that you see that come out of this patriarchal Western culture have their roots, the foundation of what that culture is, was in a matriarchy that existed prior to that. Yeah. So I think it's a real interesting thing to point that because once you, that it seems like the most difficult concept to convey to people, because if I try to do it, it's like that, the response is sort of like that can't be true. That doesn't yeah. make any sense. Yeah. So... But what you just said before about the father is it's like another way of looking at that as big brother, you Mm -hmm. know, is this authoritarian figure who is wrathful, who will punish. I mean, that punishment part is really, really important to that. And we're seeing that with the way that fundamentalism is played out in Trumpianism, Mm -hmm. Trumpery. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, as I often say to Sean, a dry desert God with no sense of humor. Mm -hmm. And a heavy stick. And a heavy stick. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you for listening to the 34 Circe Salon. Up next is the conclusion of our episode with Max Dashu. Please join us again.